The following audio is from the Grove Church Snohomish campus. For more information about our church or to listen to previous sermons, check out our website at grove.church. One of the things at the Grove Church that we're super passionate about is just seeing us come together in a variety of different ways. And obviously, on the Sunday experience, we get to come together and worship God together and lift up the name of Christ together. But we also have life groups that meet throughout the week. Now we're launching Grove Moms on Tuesday mornings for moms with young kids. We have two, two young girls, and so it's an opportunity for my wife to be able to connect uh, with a lot of the moms here who may be uh, here on a Sunday. You're checking in your kids. Hopefully, they're going to survive the hour, and then you're trying to get them out the door onto your plan. So it's a cool opportunity for uh, the gals to connect uh, with each other and, and build one another up. If you're a guest with us here today, man, we're so excited that you're here. We hope you felt a sense of, of a welcoming as well as just this presence of God in this place. We really believe more than anything that the church should be the most friendliest, most welcoming place on the planet. And so I hope you've experienced that today. Today we wrap up our series, Lights, Camera, Action. It's been a seven-week series where we've been talking about the Holy Spirit and the role that the Holy Spirit plays in our lives. And maybe you've missed some weeks. We have a podcast, and maybe you don't get a chance to listen to that throughout the week. I'm going to do a little recap today as I kind of bring this series to a close here on Palm Sunday. But week one, we talked about that the Holy Spirit gives us the power and the strength that we need to live like Christ. That we read in Acts 1a that the Jesus promised them that you will receive the power of the Holy Spirit and you'll, you will become my witnesses in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so this power that we need, God's very presence living inside of us, it gives us the strength we need to live like Christ. Week two, we talked about that the Holy Spirit gives us the boldness to be a witness for Christ, specifically to speak boldly out loud what we believe and why we believe. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that at the end of the message today. We also talked about the Holy Spirit encourages us in our walk with Christ so that we can be an encouragement to others. We talked about Barnabas and this presence and this character that he had of just being an encouragement to Paul and Paul traveling with him as, a, as basically kind of his cheerleader rooting Paul on saying, hey, you can do this. You got this. God is with you. I'm with you. And we need that in our lives. We need to be encouraged by others to continue to follow Christ in this life. In week four, we had uh, Evan speak. He did a great job talking about the Holy Spirit, that it provides conviction for us. This thing that maybe is at times uncomfortable, but this ability to expose and put to light on the ugly sides of our hearts and the ways in our lives that we need uh, repentance and forgiveness and for there to be confession in our hearts. And so the Holy Spirit plays this role of bringing light to those things, bringing that conviction, helping us determine right from wrong and choosing to walk in righteousness So that's another aspect of the Holy Spirit. We talked about how the Holy Spirit has gifts for the body of Christ, that each and every single one of you have been given one gift or two or three or four gifts from God to be used to build up and to edify the body of Christ, and that these gifts are meant for today. Last week, Aaron talked about the fruit of the Holy Spirit, that our lives should be marked by these fruits, and we read about them in the scriptures, love and joy and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control. The amazing thing about the fruit of the Holy Spirit is the way that that should operate in our lives is that the longer that I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, the more my life should be marked by these qualities. 
I should actually become more of a loving person. I should become more of a gentle person. I should be more self-controlled, more faithful, more full of joy the longer I've served Christ and have pled my allegiance to his kingdom. That that fruit should be evident in our daily lives and how we interact with one another. Well, today we put an entire bow on the whole thing talking about sequels. Now, how many of you, you're big fans of movies? Go ahead and raise your hand. Come on, you're big fans of movies? Yeah, I like movies. And we all know that some movies, when you watch them, you watch them and you go, man, that would be an amazing sequel. For example, some amazing, most famous sequels that I think are incredible, The Rockies, other than Rocky Five. okay? The Rockies. Uh, you have, to me, a great trilogy, Back to the Future, Absolutely incredible, all right? There's, so there's good sequels, and then there's ones you're like, man, I'm glad that movie's over. I hope, I hope they don't make a remake. Like The Matrix, for example. First one was great, the other ones were terrible. But we see good sequels, and we see bad sequels played all the time in Hollywood. And the amazing thing about sequels is that you and I are the sequels to the greatest movement that came through the disciples and the apostles. In fact, in Acts, at the very end of the book, I want to read this to you, Acts 28, 30 through 31. It'll be on the screen here for you. It says, speaking of Paul, he lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Done. That's the end of the book of Acts. We've been studying through the book of Acts, how the Holy Spirit has worked through the disciples and through the apostle Paul, and now Paul awaits trial, and all of a sudden, the way the book ends is kind of like a sequel. It's just to be continued. He continued to preach with boldness without hindrance. And each generation, every generation is a sequel to the book of Acts, or a sequel to the movement that Jesus came to the mission of his death, burial, and resurrection. And the question becomes is, what will we do about that movement? How will we respond in our lifetime and in our generation to what Jesus came to do to seek and save that which was lost and to bind up the yoke of slavery, to set people from sin and bring them into salvation, to provide healing and hope and a purpose and a plan for people's lives? Are you with me today? It's up to us in this generation and in this time frame what we will do with the sequel. Will it be a good sequel? Will it be a good reputation of the name of Jesus? Will it be a good response to his kingdom? Will we represent him in the right way and in the right heart in our time frame and in this season of life? Or will we look back on our generation and go, man, I just wish they would have stopped doing ministry entirely. I wish wish that church wouldn't even exist. Wow, they're really putting a bad taste in people's mouth about what Jesus came to do. You and I like Paul, are the sequel to the work that he established and the mission that he was sent for. And that was he planted churches, he ministered to people, he saw incredible things happen, and now you and I have been passed with that baton as the sequel to the greatest movement on the earth, God's kingdom being advanced. As we read all of Paul's letters, we've talked a lot about Paul as well, 
One of the things about the Apostle Paul is he wrote a lot of letters, and one of the, one of the letters or the epistles that he wrote is 2 Timothy. It's known as being the last letter that Paul wrote, kind of his famous last words that he wrote before he was killed for his faith in Jesus Christ. So these famous last words, these four chapters of 2 Timothy, I want to read, pick it up today in chapter 4. I want you to just imagine for a second here, Paul has been imprisoned. Paul has been beaten. Paul has been shipwrecked. He's been stoned. He's been kicked out of cities. He's been in chains. He's been, he's been tortured. He's been bitten by a snake. He's had a lot of problems and issues and persecution happen to him in his life. As he penned 2 Timothy, keep in mind, he's again facing trial. He's again facing conversations and difficulties about the message that he's standing for and believing in. And so when we look to 2 Timothy 4, we kind of want to put ourselves in the shoes of Paul nearing the end of his life, knowing that his death is coming, and seeing what he says to you and I as the sequel to God's kingdom here on earth. This is 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. It says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Let's pray for God's word today. God, I thank you that the kingdom of God continues to advance, that your church is on mission today, that the Grove Church Snohomish gets to sit here and stand here to, today because of generation after generation after generation proclaiming the name of Jesus. And I pray, God, today we would be encouraged once again to lift up the name of Jesus, to make you famous in our communities, to be the salt of the earth, to be the light of the world. I pray, God, more than anything, our hearts would come alive today at these words of Paul, recognizing, God, the work that he laid for us so that we can continue this movement. It's in your good name we pray. Amen. Paul writes in the first few verses here, he says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and by his kingdom. Paul is reminding Timothy and us that it is God and through his son Jesus Christ who will judge the living and the dead. And it is his name and by his kingdom that he will do the following. 
Paul is establishing here in chapter 4 that God and the, and the work through his son Jesus is the great judge who will one day judge the living and the dead. Paul is alluding to the fact that there's going to come a time when Christ will return and there's no one escaping this return and he will come to judge those who are currently living and those who have already fallen asleep or have passed away. Paul is saying to you and I today that this is not just a person, this is not just some ordinary thing, this is the very person of Jesus Christ who is going to come and judge the living and the dead, and it's through his kingdom that I want you to do these things. I want you to preach the word. I want you to be ready in season and out of season. I want you to reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Paul is saying, I want you to continue to share the message of Jesus Christ. And sometimes that message is going to bring correction. Sometimes that message is going to bring rebuke. Sometimes that message is going to bring encouragement and exhortation. But I, I want you to be ready. I want you to be ready in season and out of season. I want you to be ready to share the good news of Jesus Christ. And I want you to do it with patience with the people that you're sharing it with. Why patience? Why, why not love? Why, not, why use patience? This is what I think why he used the word patience. The reason why we need patience so bad when we share the message of Jesus Christ, when we have to bring correction or encouragement or rebuke or whatever the case may be, we need patience because it takes time for people to understand who Jesus is and why he came. It takes time. And a lot of times, man, we're way too fast in our approach. Someone's at step two and we want them to be at a step eight or a nine or a 10 when we need to recognize that each person is different, each situation is different, each background is different, and sometimes it requires a tremendous amount of patience and love and care to walk alongside people and to be available to them as we teach and instruct the message of Jesus Christ. See, even in here today, there are people in here that you've been a Christ follower maybe 40, 50 years. And there's people in here who maybe you're a brand new Christ follower. And what that person at 40 years knows versus what that person at one year knows is two entirely different things. And Paul is reminding you and I, it takes a tremendous amount of patience to be able to recognize that not everyone is on the same journey. Not, Not everyone's at the same place. Not everyone's comfortable with this or that or this may thing. It takes this incredible amount of patience to recognize, God, I want you to use me. God, I want to be ready to preach and share your word. God, I want to be ready in any season, no matter where I'm at, but I want to do it with a tremendous amount of patience because I recognize, God, it is your Holy Spirit at the work in the individual and not me. And that's going to take time. That's going to take time and it's going to take process for them to hear about Jesus. Goes on to say, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. This was written, what, in the first century? And yet Paul is saying about the culture of that day that they're going to drift away from truth. 
They're going to believe whatever feels good at the time. They're going to suit their own desires and make up their own myths and ideas of belief. They're going to drift away. Isn't it interesting in our world today, in 2019, we can say the very same thing about our culture today. We can say the very same thing about our culture today, that there are people that no longer want to hear the sound teaching of Scripture, no one will believe in who Christ is and what he came, no longer want to believe in the message of the hope and the resurrection of Jesus, want to believe whatever they want to believe, want to do whatever feels good to them, and yet in our world today we see this being played out time and time and time again. Well, I don't need to stay married anymore because it doesn't feel good. Well, I don't need to you know, do that anymore. I, that feels good. Whatever feels good to me, whatever suits my desires right now are the things that I'm going to follow. He says that they're going to have itching ears to accumulate for themselves people and teachers to suit their own passions, and they're going to turn away from listening to the truth. They're going to no longer listen to the truth and the conviction of the Holy Spirit. They're going to be anti-God, anti-religion, anti-the scriptures, anti-who Christ is. And we see this getting played out all sorts of different ways in our world. All over social media, all over the political landscape, all over our world. And what's amazing though is as Christians we're so surprised by it. We're like, wow. I can't believe they're trying to do that. Wow, I can't believe this is happening. Oh my word, this world's going down like a hell in a hell basket. I mean, we freak out over these things. And yet Paul, years and years ago, would remind you and I that this is normal. That we will wander away from the truth. That we will worship created things rather than the creator. He goes on to says, but as for you, Timothy, as for you, church, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. He says, you will be sober-minded, you will endure suffering, and you will do the work of an evangelist. Why be sober-minded? Well, when you're not thinking straight and you can't think clearly, you're not effective in your approach. He says you're going to endure suffering. This is going to be difficult. This is going to be hard work. There's going to be times where there's going to be resistance. There's going to be times where there's going to be persecution. But then the encouragement is this, but do the work of an evangelist. What what does an evangelist do? An evangelist tells others about Jesus. That's what an evangelist does. An evangelist brings people to Jesus. Their responsibility and their gifting in the scriptures is to tell others about the good news of Jesus. No matter the persecution, no matter the suffering, no matter what type of reputation you have, fulfill your ministry and tell the world about what Jesus came to do. See, Paul says, He recognizes his death is coming. He says, for I'm already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure has come. He knows he's gonna die. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Dude, come on, somebody. I have fought it. Not, you know, I tried. Not I attempted. 
Well, I gave it a go. No, I have fought the good fight. I have finished this race. I've done what God has asked me to do. Can I encourage you today? Would you say this at your deathbed? God, I have fought the good fight. I've endured the suffering. I've told as many people about you as I possibly could. In my lifetime, God, and in my generation, I have done everything I possibly could to tell others about Jesus. Have I done that with my life, God? Have I finished this race with pride and passion and joy and fervency because I did everything you wanted me to do, God, when you asked me to do it? Man, my life verse, Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ for it is the power of God to save first to the Jew and then to the Gentiles. I'm telling you, what Paul is saying here is he's like, I've done it. I poured myself out. I've literally poured my life into telling others about Jesus and I've endured so much and I would do it all over again because I wanted my Savior and my King to be proud of the life he gave me. I wanted in my generation to say we did everything we could to tell others about Jesus. In this sequel, we were an awesome sequel. In this sequel, it was not a waste of time. It was not a waste of energy. In this sequel, we, we did everything we could to be the salt and the light of the earth, and it was not wasted. None of it was wasted. He goes on to say, Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, there it is again, judge, will award me on that day. The word day is capitalized, the day of Christ's second coming, and not only to me, but also to all have loved his appearing. See, for those of us who have put faith in Jesus Christ, for those of us who want to live in this sequel with such joy and determination, we're not doing it for accolades. We're not, we're not disciples of Jesus with gifts for the body of Christ, with being a bold witness for him. We're not doing it for fame. We're not doing it for fortune. We're not doing it to live in nice homes or drive nice cars or have a nice life. We're doing it because one day we want to hear from our Savior, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into your reward, and here's your crown, and here's your crown, and here's your crown, and here's your crown. We're doing it for him. Paul says, man, I haven't even gained, I haven't gained a whole lot here, but I know there is something coming from me, for me, for what I've done with the message of Jesus Christ. As we sit here today, the sequel of the greatest movement on planet earth, I want to give you four marks of the early church, then and what I believe the church should be today. Four marks of what the early church was known for and what I believe we should be known for today. Number one, if you're taking notes, the movement of Christianity was built on boldness to speak about the name of Jesus. If you and I are going to continue the mission of Jesus on this planet, then we are going to need to get far more bolder in speaking about what we believe and why we believe it. It rested and operated in boldness. When the Holy Spirit came and poured out on the believers, 
he gave them the boldness to be a witness. That meant to be a witness to share and talk about the message of Jesus Christ. And sometimes that conversation happens very frankly. Sometimes that conversation happens with someone who's making a terrible decision with their life and you begin to speak the truth in love. Other times it's a process. You build a friendship. You build a relationship. You get to know your neighbor. You get to know your coworker. You get to know your extended family. And you start in some way with patience and grace and love walking people towards belief in Jesus Christ. But either way, it starts with you and I speaking. It starts with a boldness welling up inside of our hearts going, God, I have to share about what I believe and why I believe it. I I can't stop talking about what you've done in my life. It was built on this boldness. Number two, the movement of Christianity was outward, not inward. The most common factor for declining churches in America is churches that are inward. The early church was known for the spreading and ministering to those who were far off. Gentiles were the outcasted people and Paul dedicated his life to minister to them. Think about that. They were not of Jewish descent. They did not have the law. They were not welcomed at all the festivals. And yet Paul, after the road of Damascus and that experience of seeing Jesus, went out and dedicated his life to telling others who were not privileged about Jesus Christ. The church from the early stages was outward. It was outward. It was looking for worthy to be found people. It was looking for people who were far from God. It was looking for people who did not know Jesus. It was looking for churches in cities that did not have churches in those cities. And it is the same for you and I today. The church, the movement, the sequel cannot get inward. Our experience as the body of Christ at the Grove Church at Homish should not be, I should show up and find out what's in it for me. That is not why we're here. We are here to go, God, what can I do in my lifetime with the message of Jesus Christ for the people I know that don't know you? How do I get outward? How do I serve my neighbor? How do I serve my coworker? How do I turn my life into a drink offering being poured out on others that don't know him? How do I do that? How do I spend my time, my money, my energy, my life so I can be like Paul and says, man, God, I have done everything I can just to pour myself out and to show others about you. How do I get outward with my life? How do I use what I know, my talents, my abilities to get outward? Number three, the movement of Christianity was built on ownership and sacrifice. Building one another up, encouraging one another, having unity, sharing together, helping each other. It was a group of people who carried the mission of God forward. In our lifetime, it's the same, very same thing. The church, the movement of God, the sequel requires ownership and sacrifice. Yesterday, a group of guys in our church just built a fence for another gal in our church whose husband is gone for a year on military. Why? Because there's ownership and sacrifice. 
They, they would take time away from their family and their friends to help someone in need in our church. Why? Because of ownership and sacrifice. There's people in this room who generously sponsored kids to go to camp and generously sponsored women to go to the retreat next month. Why? Because of ownership and sacrifice. There are people that wake up families with young kids, men and women, who wake up on Sundays, every single Sunday at 6, 7 a.m., and they show up and they serve on a setup team and make this entire church happen. Why? Because of ownership and sacrifice. There are people, when you go home and have lunch and you're at a restaurant, who are loading up a trailer and stacking containers and taking all this down and making this entire movement happen. Why? Because of ownership and sacrifice. And could it be that what's inside of those individuals, what's inside of their hearts, is not the praise of man, but the praise of God? What's inside of their hearts is to say, man, God, in my lifetime, and in my lifetime, in my generation, in this sequel, in this responsibility, I want to be the best steward of what you've called me to do. It's interesting because it's the complete opposite of being a consumer. The church is. If you have a, a membership at the YMCA, it's all about the benefits. If you have a gym membership at Planet Fitness like I do, it's all about what you can get for that $10. But if you have the black card, you can get the massages, okay? It's all about the benefits. What can I get out of this? You go work out, but yet you're getting a massage. You lazy, okay? You lazy. But it's all about the benefits. What's in it for me? What rewards do I get? What do I get for shopping here? What do I get for buying from here? What do I get if I buy one, get one free? It's all about what's in it for me, but yet the church and the sequel and the early church and the church today is not what's in it for me. It's what's in it for them. It is not what benefits do I get for being a part of the Grove Church in Homish. It's what do I deserve? Why well, I deserve death, but God gave me life. And because of that great life, I need to share it with others. But it's so hard for our minds, even for my mind, it's so hard when we live in a world where every other area of life we consume and yet we come to church and we're called not to. But yet that's the very thing that Christ calls us to do, is to be sacrificial, is to be generous, is to be an owner, is to own the responsibility of the church in your lifetime in my lifetime. So what is it about you? Where is the Holy Spirit calling you to carry his mission out? See, it's interesting that the early church committed their lives to each other face to face in real time and in real life. And yet what we're known for is being ultrally connected on social media, but yet we feel the loneliest we've ever been. What is, that? what is that telling you and I? It's telling you and I that we need this. I, I, we need to share. We need to look in each other's faces. We need the love and the joy of seeing someone and talking to them face to face. We, we need that encouragement. We need to know, hey, how are you? What's going on in your life? We need this so much. And that's what the church was built on. It was built on ownership, sacrifice. 
Where, where is God calling you into service and moving his mission forward? Because Christianity and the sequel will only continue when there's ownership and there's sacrifice. It will always be at the forefront of the church. Lastly, the movement of Christianity experienced the power of the Holy Spirit. Man, there were salvations. There were baptisms randomly. At one point, there was water on the road, and this person's like, well, why can't I just get baptized here? There's water. There was healings. There were people delivered. They were worthy to be found, people that were found. They experienced the power of God in their lifetime. And I'm here to tell you today, we're experiencing it again even now. That salvations are happening at the Grove Church Snohomish. And just less than two weeks away after Easter, we're doing an awesome baptism pool party where people are putting their faith in Jesus and getting baptized. We're experiencing it through Grove Moms, through life groups, through serve opportunities, through whatever God is calling you and I to do. The experience of his power and his presence is in our lives and his spirit is alive so much today. What will we do in our lifetime and in our generation with the message of Jesus Christ? I want you to hear what C.S. Lewis wrote about the church. The church exists for nothing else but to draw men into Christ, to make them little Christ. If they are not doing that, all the cathedrals, clergy, missions, sermons, well, not the sermons, no, I'm kidding, sermons, even the Bible itself are simply a waste of time. God became man for no other purpose. Let that just sink in for a minute. The church, God's people exist for nothing else but to draw men and women into Christ to make them like him. That's why we're here today. We're not here just to feel good and walk out and get a little boost. We are here to become more and more like Jesus Christ and I'm here to tell you that in my lifetime, I want to do the greatest job in this sequel. I want to do, I want to pour out my life into the world so that they hear and know Jesus through my life and through my family. I do, I want that. I want to be able to say at my deathbed, whenever that time comes when God calls me home, I want to be able to say, God, I have fought this good fight. I finished the race. I was faithful. I was loving, I was patient, I did everything I could in my generation to help people hear and know Jesus. And I would pray today more than anything that you would do the very same thing. That you would begin to flip the view of why you're a part of the Grove Church Snohomish. You begin to ask yourself, okay God, this isn't just for me, this is for us. This is for them. What can I do with what you've given me? How can I be an owner? How can I be sacrificial? How can I live with this passion that Paul had to pour my life out onto others? As the worship team's coming up, it's crazy because today is Palm Sunday and this week begins the Passion Week. It's the week where Jesus will stand 
trial. It's the week where he will be beaten and tortured on Good Friday. And it's on Easter Sunday where we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, our hope in Jesus Christ. And I think it's so fitting to think about the sequel and what Christ came to do on a day like today because it's amazing because we have a whole week to invite others to church. We have a whole week to tell others about what we believe. We have a whole week to make sure we're being responsible with the message that Jesus came and suffered and died for. And I pray, my heart prays today that we would follow suit into what Paul encourages us to do. Let me pray for you today. Lord Jesus, we just thank you and praise you right now that it is by the power of your Holy Spirit that we can become owners, we can become sacrificial, we can be responsible with the movement of your church. We don't want to waste it, God. We don't want to look back at our life and go, man, I just, I did an okay job. Well, I tried. No, God, we want to look at our life and we want to pour ourselves out for the sake of others to find you, for worthy to be found people found. So Lord, would you grow our hearts today? Grow our hearts Grow our, our lives to living open-handedly, showing others, accepting others, living for you, God. May we be good stewards today in our lifetime with your kingdom, with your mission, with your truth. And we thank you for this week, God for Palm Sunday, for this Passion Week, for all that you've done for us, God. I pray today our hearts would focus in, even on Good Friday as we walk away with that box, our hearts would focus in on all that you've done for us. It's in your good name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Snohomish Sermon Podcast. If you want to keep up with us, like us on Facebook, Instagram, or visit our website at grove.church.